Most exciting day of games on the field, but off the field storylines were cooking like a tailgate brisket all weekend long, and it's given us a lot to talk about here on the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmys and the Joes, along with Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney. I'm Mitch Mason. Glad to have you with us for this week nine recap. Gentlemen, we get the playoff rankings that come out for the first time this week. It will be the day after you listen to this podcast, Tuesday, if you listen to it on release day. And it's given us a lot to think about. It's given us a lot to kind of look look forward to, try and predict. And so as we were talking in our pre-show meeting, trying to figure out how we were going to incorporate this into today's show and going forward, uh, essentially what we're going to do is we're going to alter the the flow a little bit and we'll explain all of that as we get there you guys were out at the pumpkin patch enjoying a little bit of free time this weekend i've got to know did you pick a gourd this weekend we selected several gourds i think uh yeah we, we found what we needed we utilized i think a very lacking not very surprising in the results but a very lacking and competitive games afternoon window yesterday to select those gourds so we followed our own advice we took care of the fall activities and a good time was had by all and we still got it back in time to watch some really good evening games yeah plenty of time to go through and you know watch all your morning games there were some fun ones to watch especially that big noon game that was a whole lot of fun Mm -hmm. uh and then you know got to go past that do a little pumpkins and then uh you know we got to go back and you know kind of maybe decorate maybe enjoy some cocktails and you know, just kind of enjoyed uh, enjoyed the fall night and the nightcap game. So it was a good time. It, it was a good night weather-wise here in, <clears throat> excuse me, here in the Metroplex. It was a fun evening slate of football games. Of course, you had Game 2 of the World Series going on if you decided to partake in that. Uh, you guys mentioned it, though. We spent a lot of time talking about the afternoon window and at least a lot of games that had postseason implications. And boy, I'm glad they had something riding on them because they were absolute stinkers if you did not care about the two teams playing, if you did not have a proverbial dog in the fight, I hope you turn some of these games off because Kentucky, you didn't even show up this weekend and you should be embarrassed about that performance. Um, We'll get into all of that delineated by and defined by the playoff contenders. That's where we're going to start on today's episode as we await the first playoff projections, the first seeding, Our question of the day, and I'll put it to you guys here, Garrett, let's start with you. First of all, call your four playoff seats. And in a side with that, answer the question with where you rank them, is Tennessee the best team in the country? I know I certainly have some thoughts on it, Trey. I think I was talking to you about that. Garrett, we'll start with you. Give us your four playoff selections and then uh, kind of defend where you put Tennessee here. 
Yeah, so my four, my top four um, would be number four. I would put Ohio State at the number four right now. I would put Michigan at the number three. I would select Georgia for the number two. And yes, I think Tennessee right now is the best team in the country. I think they're the most deserving just looking at resume. But right now, and we'll talk about this when you break down the game, Tennessee right now is the best team in the country. They're doing so much more with so much less. And I just trust them more than I trust anybody else when it comes to deficiencies across the board. I think that you could make a case for maybe Clemson or TCU sneaking up into that. And I do think those would be my next two out. And obviously, this is going to work itself out, right? Tennessee is going to play Georgia, and Ohio State and Michigan are going to play later. Those two teams should slide up into the three and four spots, assuming that they stay undefeated and run the gauntlet. But, you know, for me personally, I just think those two teams in the SEC and those two teams in the Big Ten are the best right now. They've shown me the most. And yeah, Tennessee absolutely deserves to be on top. I'm going to switch it up just a little bit. Um I'll say my four seed last because I think it's the most controversial. I have Georgia number one. I think I was looking over their schedule today just in preparation for this. And man, I don't know if it's just their stinker in Missouri or maybe just the second half of that game yesterday that kind of lulled us to sleep a little bit. They've just been demolishing teams this year and they look really, really good doing it. Look good on offense, still look elite on defense. Georgia's number one for me. Tennessee is at number two right behind them. I think Tennessee probably on paper has the best resume at this point. I think I agree with you that there, Garrett, but I think I give the slight edge to Georgia just on known talent, known ability to take care of business in the playoff. I know we're not supposed to look at past seasons, but the pedigree (laughs) is there for Georgia. So that's going to be my tiebreaker there. And we get to settle it on the field this week. So if I'm wrong, we'll find out next week. Number three, I have Ohio state. I do think that they are the best team in the big 10. I know. Garrett disagrees with that a little bit with, I think he would put Michigan ahead of them um, just based on his rankings. But my number four team, I'm going to go with the TCU Horned Frogs. They've been the most impressive to me, um, just passing the eyeball test, um, resume, just the way that they've handled teams, the way that they've overcome adversity. They're the most exciting team to me. They were the team that I would like to see in that number four spot. I know they're probably... The odds of them getting that number four spot on Tuesday night are extremely low. I'd be shocked if they're even in the top six Tuesday night, to be honest. But yeah, give me TCU in number four. I I like both of those rankings. I do think putting TCU at, at number four is a touch high for me um, because I think that Ohio State, Michigan, I, I think they, to be quite honest, run away with those games if they played on a neutral field um, just based off the talent difference. Now, I have nothing to base that off of because TCU has beat every single opponent that they've been challenged with. So, you know, maybe that's a, a matchup we have to look forward in the playoff. Who knows? Um, I'm I'm very similar to Garrett. I would go Tennessee, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan. Um, I, I think for... What Tennessee has done with the best resume, they have the best quarterback. Guys, I think they have the best quarterback in that group. I think they have right now on the field, you give me Hendon Hooker versus CJ Stroud. I think I'm taking Hendon Hooker. Um, Now that may not bear out in the NFL ranks, but we don't care about the NFL ranks right now. I'm saying on a one-on-one, you need a guy to go win you the game. I'm taking Hendon Hooker over CJ Stroud. I think Hendon Hooker has better vision. I think he handles pressure much better than C.J. Stroud. The book on C.J. is you want him to not be Superman, get a blitz. Get get somebody in his face. Get him off 
off platform and he he can tend to struggle a little bit. Uh, Michigan, honestly, I wonder if Michigan is the better team, but I can't in my personal rankings cannot put them ahead of Ohio State because to me there hasn't really been anything that Michigan has done to differentiate themselves from Ohio State as far as hey I am vastly superior in X Y and Z areas right um, and so I you know I'll go chalk with that but. I do think those are the the five or the four best teams. I think Clemson, TCU, the first two out in my personal rankings. Y'all help me out on Michigan because I, I I just don't know what I'm missing. I don't know if it's you know thinking too much about their playoff game last year or maybe they just play way too different of a style of offense. I I don't know. I I just don't. It's not that I don't see them as a legitimate contender. They're obviously a legitimate contender. They're obviously a very very good team, but. I would maybe even put Alabama ahead of them right now. And tell, tell me where I'm wrong. Uh, well, for one thing, Michigan's undefeated. Uh, so you got to <laughs> go ahead and beat the guys you played. I also just want to go ahead and say, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, but just look at the results from when they played Penn State versus when Ohio State played Penn State. Michigan was the more dominant team in all facets of the game when they played those games. Yes, yes. They played Penn State at home. Ohio State had to play them on the road. But at the same time, I think, you know, the the Penn State home field advantage was a little overstated at the noon game. Penn State hung around. If you watch that game, Penn State did a lot of things really well and caused Ohio State to have some pretty glaring concerns with the way that they play their game and, and the way that they kind of played that game out to the end. You know, I use the word outlast. And again, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I use the word outlast when it comes to Ohio State, Penn State. Michigan dominated them. So I, I think you just look at the common opponent there, and you can't really transitive property this thing. But I think if you look at it, Michigan's been more impressive so far with the way that they dominate teams, line of scrimmage. They, they do what they need to in the run game. You know, and they, they dominate in the run game, and they, they're effective passing the ball. They're not necessarily dynamic, and I think Stroud is the better quarterback. But, yeah. you know, it, it's, I think it's a better team overall in Ann Arbor. I, I love the the pro offense that Michigan is running, a top 25 offense, so they're moving the football. Now, again, Charmin soft schedule uh, up until the Penn State game, right? But the way that they took care of Penn State, the way that they took care of little brother Michigan State in a game that we have a lot to talk about for off-the-field reasons in addition to the shellacking that happened in the big house but Michigan also, to me, the big question coming in this year was can Michigan get to the passer? They lost all of their edge rushers from a season ago, right? Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo, both gone to the NFL. That was like all of their sack production from a season ago. If if Hutchinson and Ojabo did not get to the passer, then nobody was. This year, they've had a number of different guys step up. Uh, they're third in total defense right now, and they are eighth in team sacks, and I believe top 10 in tackles for loss as well. They've got 26 sacks on the season. To me, their ability to disrupt what offenses are trying to do uh, in in chunk situations, right? They're already stopping the run. We knew that they were going to be successful against the run, but now that they have the ability to once again get to the passer consistently, and it's not just one or two guys, to me that puts Michigan in that top four, top three conversation, depending on where you have them. Uh, it, to compare them to Alabama, Alabama's defense has not necessarily been a strength this year. Sure, they have Will Anderson, but outside of him, if they don't get to the pass uh, to the passer, that secondary has been exposed quite a bit. So 
to me, I'm a little bit more down on Alabama than I think a lot of people in the national media are, and they're my national championship pick. So uh, don't don't think that I've forgotten about that. I just look at what I see on the field. I think Clemson, Clemson and Alabama are very similar uh, in that their defenses are good, but they give up chunk plays. Bama has a better offense. Bama's just on a bye this week. So uh, to me, they've got to be maybe outside that top six. Um, but again, all of this very, very subject to change. Yeah, I, I'm i excited to see the styles clash again because obviously when those two styles clash with Michigan and Ohio State, we saw what happened last year. Michigan was able to really disrupt what Ohio State wanted to do on offense. They were the more physical team. I, I can't wait for that game. I think it's going to be pretty much smooth sailing for both of those teams up till Thanksgiving weekend. Garrett and I had an idea for an episode last night that uh, I don't even think we've told Mitch about yet. So we'll tease that a little bit uh, involving Uh, that game. Stay tuned, including myself. Um, All right, well, let's jump into some of these game recaps again. Let's start with the grouping of games that we've got under the heading, the playoff contenders in our show notes, right? The top six, seven teams that were in action this week. Uh, Who impressed you? Who didn't? We got to start with Tennessee absolutely blowing the doors off Kentucky 44 to six um, guys for me Hinden Hooker should be the Heisman favorite I know he he wasn't Herculean in this victory over Kentucky he didn't need to be 245 yards through the air three touchdowns Jalen Hyatt is that dude five catches 138 yards two scores Jalen Hyatt has 14 touchdowns this season and we've still got a third of the year to go just absolutely incredible numbers being put up from Jalen Hyatt. Honestly, if he was doing it on more receptions, I think he would be maybe the runaway Heisman favorite. But it, I wonder if his efficiency is is almost hurting him. Every every game he suits up, he puts up Randy Moss-like numbers. But compared to some of the leading receivers from a reception standpoint, his catches are dwarfed. He's almost at 1,000 yards already, I think 907. Um, but to me, Hinden Hooker has been that guy. Again, he didn't need to, to throw for 500 yards and five touchdowns. Kentucky stunk yesterday. They, they were not good. Uh, you could have run a lot of different teams out there, and I think they would have beaten the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah, Tennessee at this moment for me is absolutely the best team in the country, and I'm going to reiterate that. I want to make sure to just pause where we are right now and say Heupel's doing amazing things up there. They looked about as unstoppable as you could on offense last night. And that's just a continuation of the season. You can't stop them. You just cannot shut their offense down. It's not really a possibility. We're going to get that test next week against Georgia and see how that works out. But I don't think they're going to stop them very much either. They've got a great defense at Georgia, and I still don't think they're going to be able to stop them very much. You know, they went against a Kentucky team that I, I thought going into this, they didn't really stand a chance. The line was something like 12 or something, and I still picked them as my lock of the week. And somehow Tennessee still impressed me with how dominant they were. And I know that they weren't, you know, maybe as statistically impressive in the past game as they had been in previous weeks. But I do have a little blind player test right here. Okay, so player one and player two season stats so far. We've got 71% completions for both of them. One guy has 2377 yards. The other guy has 2338. They both have 10.7 yards per attempt. One guy has 29 touchdowns, four interceptions. The other guy has 21 touchdowns and one interception. They both have played against the fourth and third strength of schedule, respectively. Those two guys are CJ Stroud and Hendon Hooker. So they're basically doing the exact same thing, but 
Here's the stat that blew my mind. I went in and did this. Ohio State has the third best roster in the nation, according to 24-7, with a 983 in total points. Tennessee has the 19th ranked roster in the nation at 764. The gap in talent between those two programs is the exact same as the gap between Tennessee and the number 76th ranked roster, Arkansas State. So just in terms of a talent disparity, they're doing the same things offensively, but Hendon Hooker is doing it with so much less in terms of the talent coming behind him. Now, I'm not saying that they don't have great players. Right. You're just talking about the the receivers. They're doing a great job. But I think you have to put massive props on Hendon Hooker as your Heisman favorite right now. Tennessee is in a fantastic position to keep winning. They're going to go raid the portal this offseason, but we don't even have to talk about the offseason and the momentum they're going to bring in there. They've got as good a chance to win the national championship as anyone else in the country right now. They're almost a lock to make the playoffs if they can beat Georgia. I think that game's probably for the one seed in the whole country. Uh, I think my favorite thing about this game, though, was their defense finally stepping up and holding Kentucky to six. Maybe Kentucky was just bad. But holding him to six is impressive. Don't care who you put out there. Big improvement there. If they can continue to improve there, I think that they're by far the best team and they're going to start running away with this thing through the course of the end of the season. Yeah. No one look up what I said on Thursday's show about this game because <laughs> I, I was a believer in Kentucky. I, I really did. I I thought that they could keep this one close. I thought this would be a tough test for Tennessee. And Boy, was I wrong because Tennessee just blew the doors off of Kentucky. And like you said, Garrett, we can sing the praises of the offense. We've been doing that for weeks on this show. The defense really impressed me last night, holding that Kentucky team to just six points. I know the Will Levis jokes write themselves at this point, but he is a very talented quarterback. I I, I still firmly believe that he is a talented quarterback. They picked him off three times, held him to 98 yards passing, and held Kentucky to just 205 total yards. That's insane video game type numbers for a defense that we really didn't, you know, coming into the season, even throughout the season, we've said that could be what holds Tennessee back. If they keep playing to that level, they keep playing shutdown defense like that to pair with that offense, no one's going to stop them. They're going to approach 2019 LSU levels very, very quickly. So, yeah, they kind of have the team of destiny vibe right now. We'll see if that heat check holds against Georgia next week because that's definitely going to be a heat check game. Yes, it is. I'm excited to watch that one. I think the opening line in that game was up around 12 points, and that honestly shocked me that it was that high. So, yeah, excited to see next week. It's kind of a playoff light game next week, and so we'll see if Tennessee can keep it rolling. I I will say, um, so that defense, talking, talking about the volunteer defense, when they when we did the season preview, we were wondering if they'd be able to stop a nosebleed, right? And at first, they really couldn't stop the pass. But hey, that that front seven doing a good job at stopping the run. They were a top twenty rush defense after the first few games, and then you know Alabama looked Bryce Young threw for a billion yards, and but that's Alabama. It was a shootout, whatever. Suddenly though, this secondary they're forcing turnovers. They're providing the the pass rush is getting to the quarterback and. You, Trey, you mentioned Will Levels is a talented quarterback. I'm not saying he's not a talented quarterback. I am saying there's a curse of the Mayo Coffee or something because 98 yards and three picks is abysmal. There was uh, a anonymous NFL scout who went semi-viral, I want to say either two weeks ago or maybe even farther back than that, and he said Will Levis is going to ruin a top 10 
or a franchise when they pick him in the top 10 this next year. Wow. That's, oh man, that's, that's not great to, to have NFL scouts saying that about you. Now, maybe it's all a game. Maybe it's all a ploy. Maybe that's a made up quote. I don't know. But to have that go around and then to have a result like this against a Tennessee defense that's statistically the secondary is not anything to 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 really get all that worried about. And I mean, he he was having trouble finding the right jersey last night. So I do think it's a gut check moment for Will Levis. Kentucky has always been a team that's run the ball and run it really well. Chris Rodriguez, I think, only had like 60-something yards last night. And Trey, you said 205 total yards of offense. They just could not move the football. Uh, didn't matter if it was through the air or on the ground. So a, a brutal performance for Kentucky. Uh, Tennessee really a shocking better performance, better. too. Like yeah. I, I don't know if you guys expected a, ten- a defensive no. performance from Tennessee like that. No. That was not well, on the game script for me. And, and to be fair, if you know that your offense is going to go out there and do what they need to do, you can play a lot more aggressively as a defense, right? If you believe that your guys are going to go and respond at the touchdown, you don't really care if you get burned. You can try to pick a route. You know, you can try to, you know, get in front of a ball and, you know, force a turnover. You can go for the the strip instead of, you know, just trying to play assignment defense. And I think that's what they're kind of being able to do right now is just get a little bit aggressive and take advantage of mistakes. And when you're a team like Kentucky, who's prone to making a few more mistakes, that's going to become even more expanded as the game goes on because those are going to compound. The lead's going to get bigger. You're going to get in a negative game script. And then that's going to force you into more positions where, yeah, you're going to have to pass more, try to force the ball downfield to try to catch up. And then that's more turnovers. So uh, I do think this Tennessee defense is benefiting from how good their offense is and how they're able to play stylistically, but you can't take it away from them and say they're not good. Like they are a pretty good defense right now. Not maybe elite, not as good as some of these other contenders, but they're playing pretty good defense right now. Well, we'll see where Tennessee ends up getting ranked here on Tuesday night. We will, I'm sure, lead off the Thursday morning episode with the playoff rankings. You can probably expect that going forward. But, guys, let's go on to some of the other playoff contenders. Let's start with number two, Ohio State, a 44-31 win over then 13th-ranked Penn State. This game was close and very, very competitive until late. And, again, it's the turnovers that get Sean Clifford. Uh, interceptions, a fumble at the very end. He throws two of those interceptions to a defensive end who had just an all-world type performance against the Nittany Lions. But this really was close. Penn State was in this game for the vast majority of it. They led at at half, I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it felt like there was something kind of brewing. I, I had talked about in the preview No matter how talented this Penn State team is compared to Ohio State, they always seem to get out to a fast start, and they always seem to hang around. And I tell you what, I tweeted at Scott Van Pelt because I thought Ohio State had one of the bad beats of the year when Sean Clifford threw that late pick six to the defensive end, but they end up backdoor covering uh, to, to just lose by 13. So did this game feel the appropriate? Does that final score appropriately reflect the performance on the field is it is it too far of a disparity in the score is it not enough what did you guys take away from this game well the final score definitely doesn't show the flow of the game because this was a 14 to 13 game at halftime Penn State was ahead and Penn State also took the lead I think it was 21 16 uh with like nine minutes left in the fourth quarter so 
For it to be 44 to 31 final, obviously both teams just exploded at the end there, but it was a really ugly start for both teams. Like you mentioned Sean Clifford, two early interceptions in the first half. He did bounce back with two touchdown passes in the first half. But Ohio State, they kept moving the ball, but just seemed to sputter as they got into Penn State territory and as they got into the red zone, especially in the first half. So it was a really ugly start for both teams. I know Garrett's going to kind of hit on why that shows some concerns for Ohio State for him. To me, I was really impressed with Ohio State's ability to finish this game. I mentioned they fell behind 21-16 to uh, with about nine minutes to go in the fourth quarter. They then outscored Penn State 28-3 to from the nine-minute mark to the one-minute mark, and Penn State gets a garbage-time touchdown to kind of steal that cover back. But, yeah, I mean, I... You can say what you want about the ugly start. It was extremely ugly, but when that Ohio State offense started clicking late in the fourth quarter, it was it was game over. There, Penn State could do nothing to stop it. They couldn't stop the air attack from C.J. Stroud. They couldn't stop Travion Henderson on the ground. Sure, Penn State fans had a lot of flashbacks to the Michigan game as Travion was just scampering down the field there. Um, but yeah. Case in point, Ohio State goes down 21-16. They immediately respond with a three-play 75-yard scoring drive. Yeah. So that's what they can do to you. If you are not sound on defense, even for you know one drive, they're going to exploit that, and they're going to take care of that. And not every team in the country, even the elite ones on offense, can say that. I'd say probably Ohio State and Tennessee are the only two in the country I can say you have to play an absolutely perfect game on defense to hope to beat them. Yeah, no, you're probably right about that. I, I will say, I do have some concerns with Ohio State on this one. I, I do. I, I think you look at the way that they played them. You know, I, I was comparing it to the performance from Michigan because that's what we have to compare the two teams right now. And, you know, again, Michigan kind of wore on them, leaned on them, and wore them out throughout the game, just kind of dominated this one. Ohio State did not. They outlasted Penn State. They were the better team. They had the better players, and they allowed them to kind of hang around, stick around for a while, and then finally kind of just were better towards the end. You know, the, the final score, I think, shows you that. It, it just kind of was a comedy of errors, a lot of mistakes for Penn State towards the end of that game, which let this one get out of control really quickly. I, I feel like if you're a Penn State fan, you almost had to look up and say, what just happened, right? You were sitting there in the middle of the fourth quarter with a lead, and then all of a sudden you got smoked. I, I feel like there was so much confusion on the Penn State side from that one. But I think that just goes to show that, you know, Ohio State wasn't as impressive as I was hoping them to be, right? You know, Stroud, he gets pressured, and he struggled with his touch on some of the deeper stuff. Like, he could not find things. There were some moments he extended some plays, found a way to, you know, find his open man. But, man, if they heated him up in the pocket and he couldn't escape, I mean, he was missing throws that, you know, I think most quarterbacks end up making, you know, all things considered. So, you know, a lot of concerns. This was the first real test. I mentioned that. And I don't think that they, you know, I think they passed this first test, but I don't think it was with flying colors. You know, I think they, they got through, they looked fine. There weren't any massive concerns as far as, you know, oh my gosh, is Ohio State bad? I'm not saying that Ohio State's a bad team, but it is concerning for a team that wants to compete at the top level against some of these better teams in the nation for a national championship. Uh, I think they have some issues to iron out. I think that they will. I think that they got a couple of games coming up. I think it's Northwestern, Indiana, and Maryland before this big matchup with Michigan at the end of the year. They're going to be able to fix some of their issues, kind of iron out those problems before that tilt. But 
man, it's it's time to kind of start figuring out some of those problems. Now, a couple things I loved from them. Marvin Harrison Jr. is a beast. He, he's one of the better receivers in the country. I think you could make the argument that he's the best receiver in the country right now. He's an absolute beast. And, and this defense is just disgusting. They just get turnovers like it's no problem, especially when you look at what happened in Iowa last week combined with today. This defense is incredible. I just want to see them keep the point totals a little bit lower going into the next couple of weeks. I'd like to keep it around, you know, 10, 14 points the next few weeks against far inferior competition to really hope that they have a chance at, at, you know, running the tables and making it out as a two or a three seed by the time all this is done. So not saying they're bad, but maybe some rooms for concern heading towards the end of the season. I think their defense at times struggled to get off the field. You look at that touchdown drive at the very beginning of the fourth quarter, a 13 play 75 yard, five minute, 44 uh, second, just draining fourth quarter in, or drive in the fourth quarter. That's when I felt like Penn state's going to win this right. And, and, and kudos to Ohio state. They go on three plays later, they score. It truly shocked Gus Johnson that Travion Henderson was, was running in from 41 yards out for the score. It almost caught him completely off guard. So their quick strike ability, I do think, saved them. But their their defense really struggled to get off the field at times, and they struggled to defend against the run. Um, honestly, you know, Penn State shot themselves in the foot so many times. Trey, I'm sure you, you can talk about that sequence at the goal line. Uh, that was just a bizarre, one of the weirdest things we saw this weekend type moments. But also James Franklin and his play, his clock management is horrific. And he continues to hurt himself and hurt his team. They go for it on fourth and I think it was a really long one with that wing T formation. They should have just taken a chip shot field goal in the third quarter, I want to say. And guess what? I mean, does it end up factoring into the, the final score? No, but it certainly dictated the flow of the game because at one point, Ohio State was up by nine and Penn State really would have loved to have had an extra three points. So that's kind of my shot at James Franklin. I just did not like the way that he managed that game at all. Uh, Trey, take us take us inside that sickos committee like sequence, though, that we saw in the second half. Yeah, you're you're talking about the end of the game, right, where it just went bonkers. Well, that and and the, the two missed field goals, the penalty on Ohio State, the yeah, it just all kinds of craziness there gifting Penn state some points Penn state giving up points uh, a lot of chaos yeah it it was absolutely insane and if you if you pull up the drive chart you know like i said it was a, a competitive game and Penn state took the lead 21-16 three play uh scoring drive for ohio state to retake the lead i think next play or second play of the next drive Sean Clifford fumbles um Ohio State immediately cashes that in, and we got some back-and-forth scoring, but the pick six, um, as Penn State still had a chance to win the game. It was, you know, not likely, but it was uh, 38-24, I think, at that point, and then Ohio State gets a pick six. We joked that it is the bad beat of the century, and then the garbage-time touchdown for Penn State kind of ices that one. So, yeah. We get we get the Penn State cover, but yeah, just an insane turn of events. A crazy fourth quarter that, like I said off the top, didn't really made the final score really not look like the rest of the game did. Well, let's stay in the Big Ten here and go to Michigan, Michigan State. A battle for Paul Bunyan's axe. This time, guys, it was Michigan State. 
that had trouble with a special team snap. Not that it mattered. Michigan wins 29 to seven. I'm beyond frustrated that both Michigan state and Florida covered by the hook on the 22 and a half point spread. More on that in a moment, but Michigan state gets outplayed after the first quarter, the Spartans led seven to three and it felt like this was a truly uh, rivalry moment here. Jim Harbaugh has been bit by Michigan state time and time again. He had a losing record going into this game, coaching against little brother, quote unquote. And after the first quarter, it felt like, Oh boy, here we go. Another bad Michigan state team. That's going to ruin the Wolverine season. After that, though, three straight quarters of shutout football for Michigan, uh, and you know their their defense really steps up. The offense for Michigan flowed through the ground game, and we knew that was going to happen. It was a chilly evening. That's the best part of their offense, anyways. Blake Corum, thirty three carries for one hundred and seventy seven yards. I'll let y'all get your comments in on the field, but also what is trending around the country is straight-up criminal behavior from Michigan State players jumping multiple Michigan players in the tunnel after the game. There are several videos that have surfaced of straight-up assault, uh, multiple Michigan State players assaulting these these Michigan Wolverines in the tunnel. Um, so I want to hear what you guys thought about the game, but also some questions now surrounding Michigan State, how legally things are going to be handled and my question for you guys, I mean, this has got to be one of the worst looks for a college football program that I think we've ever seen. Yeah, no, it's pretty rough. I'll start on the field just so we can talk about the actual game itself. Again, I was talking about this at the beginning. I think Michigan's the best team in this conference. If you just look at their common foes with Ohio State and just want to talk about a breakdown, I look at the two from the previous couple of weeks with Michigan State and then from Penn State. You know, the, the margin of victory, the points they're letting up there, I just think that Michigan's the better team at this point. They dominated this game. I don't know how much either of you guys really got to watch this one. We had this one on last night. It was a fantastic game from Michigan, just in terms of being a dominant team. And this wasn't a night where they really didn't convert drives. And if they were able to convert a couple of drives and just keep a couple things alive, you know, a couple more red zone, you know, opportunities missed. This game is a, a lot more ugly than it was. And you could have seen things get even more out of hand. This defense is legit. They've given up 20 points one time this year, and that was to Maryland towards the beginning of the year. That was kind of their their break-it-in game, their first real game against the team. I think they had started with Colorado State, Hawaii, Connecticut. So, you know, you give up 27 then, but since then, 14 to Iowa, 10 to Indiana. They gave up uh, 17 to Penn State and then 7 to Michigan State. That's just great defense. Don't care who you are. They play fantastic defense in Ann Arbor. Again, the Blake Corum show took off. It was spectacular. Once again, 33 carries, 177, 5.4 yards average. He did score the touchdowns here, the rushing touchdown and the receiving touchdown. You add in five field goals you know, just from Michigan State missing things, and, and that, that was the whole game for you. You know, the defense gave Peyton Thorne nothing. He was running for his life all night. Almost their entire offense came off of him scrambling and finding something. So, you know, props to him for competing. I do think there is credit to his composure and how he was able to handle himself on the road there. But this had nothing to do with Michigan State last night. J.J. McCarthy, not explosive, but he seems like he knows what he's doing and he keeps the offense rolling. If he can just improve a little bit over this back part of the season, I do think they are in a great position to end up finishing this year, maybe finding themselves at a number two seed if they can beat Ohio State on the road. 
Um, they have played pretty dominant ball so far, and I think that they're going to be able to do that. I'm pumped for that Thanksgiving weekend. Um, to address the stuff off the field, I obviously have no idea what they're going to call this when it comes to the legalese, and I'm sure they're going to find some way to protect their players with their lawyers. That was horrific. That that was just, I mean, and I don't want to be, you know, a pearl clutcher here, but the, the view that I saw that was the worst was the down the tunnel shot, and there's a Michigan player. I mean, he's got his hands over his head like ducking, and they're throwing helmets. You know, there's one thing to be said about, you know, and we, we I think, correctly went off on Miles Garrett a few years ago when he did that on the field in the heat of the moment, and there were, like, accusations that the N-word got used, and, there I mean, there was some drama around that. You're off the field, not in the heat of a competition, leaving out to the locker room, and they're just mugging a guy, basically. They're just beating the crap out of him. There's nothing else you can really say about it besides the fact that it's unexcusable. All the players just standing around watching it happen. I mean, there are guys that like, turned around and looked and then just walked down the tunnel and just didn't care. I, I, I don't know how you do that. There were staff members that were running away from the scene. Yeah. I, I mean, it pretty bad look you got to be an adult at that point step in and make it stop i don't care if you're going to catch a stray you got to do something about it bad look coming off of a bad season coming off of a contract extension from l tucker where you thought okay this is his chance to take his program up and now you're talking about possibility of legal action against players that might put them behind bars like this is a pretty bad look for Michigan State and you know I'm not wishing them any sort of bad will or anything but whatever happens is absolutely deserved at this point yeah and we've ne- I don't think we've ever seen anything like this in college football I mean I think the closest comparison you could maybe draw is the malice at the palace in the NBA from you know 20 yeah. years ago but it's just insane and you know if you're Michigan State you had your chance to show that fight. And instead of choosing to show it on the field, you chose to show it and take cheap shots with your helmet on the tunnel. And yeah, Yeah. not much else to be said. It's unacceptable. Yeah. I would have some real serious conversations about canceling the rest of the season. If I'm the uh, Michigan state president, like someone at that university needs to step up and show some leadership and hold that program accountable. Mel Tucker needs to be held accountable. Those players need to be held accountable. Those guys don't need to see those guys don't need to wear the Michigan State uniform again at the very least. The the guys involved and I would legitimately have serious conversations about canceling the rest of the season and forfeiting any television money. Well, I I agree and I tweeted that out earlier today which uh didn't didn't take care of the housekeeping off the top. So this is this is your chance to go follow us at 3techpod on Instagram and Twitter. Um but I tweeted something very similar. I asked with one of the videos attached, is it an overreaction? And I was genuinely asking for feedback. But is it an overreaction to say, hey, Michigan State should be disqualified from competition the rest of the season? For sure. The players that are identified in that video carrying out these acts of assault, gone, off the team, and they need to be prosecuted to the fullest extent of of the law because what they did was beyond harmful beyond dangerous um and i'm sure all of that's going to to get um get rectified to the staff members that garrett you mentioned that are running away from it are kind of looking over their shoulder just getting out of the line of fire yeah you should be shown gone yeah see ya get out of here um absolutely disgusting that you can stand by and just watch all of that happen so i agree i i am and i i i'm not um 
usually one for hyperbole or overreaction, but Michigan State should forfeit their season. Um, yeah. After after seeing, and it's not just one video, it's at least two separate instances of different players from Michigan being attacked. Uh, there's there's no chance that Michigan State should should suit up for another football game and, and actively be able to compete. Uh, their season's a dumpster fire anyway, so it's it's not like there's going to be drama around uh, that sort of thing. This should not be a difficult decision for those in leadership. At the very least, the conference should step in, and there needs to be some severe action taking place because we've seen things get chippy between rivals before. That's nothing new. That's college football. But when you cross the line and uh, step into the realm of you know assault, permanent damage, criminal-like behavior, that's when you've got to got to, got to look yourself in the mirror and go, okay, we need to we need to take a, a hard stance against this. Honestly, guys, it, it reminded me of an incident from several years ago when I think it was Dodge, I think it was Dodger fans that beat up a Giants fan in the parking wow. lot of one of their games. And they nearly killed the Giants fan. They gave him, they left him with permanent brain damage. Um, you know, that was not on video. I, I'm not saying that one assault is the same as the other, but the the mugging that we saw on video is is something extremely serious, and it can't just be swept under the rug. Well, and I would hate it for the fans to cancel the season, and I would also hate it for the players who had nothing to do with this, right? Yeah. The guys who were further down the tunnel or already in the locker room who would have stepped up and done something about it, right? Because I understand guys are going to get chippy, guys are going to get in fights sometimes. That's going to happen, again, like you were saying, in these rivalry games. But what happens there is teammates get in the way, and they say, hey, cut it out. You're, you're getting too hot here. You know, your, your head's getting a little bit out of control. Nobody did anything. I think for the minimum, you have to say the guys who are involved, they're out of there. You know, see, uh, we're not going to help you out. The guys who are just standing around probably need to be talking about suspensions at a minimum and possibly revoking their scholarships and tell them to see the door anyways. And then for the other guys, like you would hate to say, let's suit up with a team maybe of like 40 or 50 guys left. But I think that's more fair to them. And I think that's maybe too complex and maybe it's too difficult to be that surgical and picking which guy was culpable and which guy wasn't. But I do think that, you know, I would hate to see it for the fans and for the players who have put in the work and who, you know, showed up to every practice in the offseason, showed up to all the fall camp and and have really been putting in the effort and doing it the right way. I would hate it for them. And, and for, to Mel Tucker's credit, he did come out and tweet the right thing this morning, right? He did tweet out that they're going to take care of this. They're going to handle this. They're going to make sure this is prosecuted. He called it unacceptable. Like yeah. he did the right thing in terms of just optics. Now, you know, you could say there's maybe something about the way that they view things, sure. you know, what conversations were happening on the sideline that got it to that point anyways. Maybe he needs to be more responsible going forward, but that's an in-house issue. You know, that that's something we're not going to know anything about. So I think maybe suspending the season is a little bit premature, but if you can't be surgical enough to just remove the guys involved, then yeah, I think that probably makes the most sense. We'll see what happens. Not a fun situation, uh, but we'll go ahead and move on. Uh, so this show doesn't get super long in the tooth. Let's get to our final two playoff contenders. Number one, Georgia 42, Florida 20. Really wasn't even that close. Again, I'm just disgusted that Florida covered by the hook in the 22 and a half point spread. That hurts me personally. Guys, from a high level view, my notes on this game, Florida's defense, not very good. Uh, they looked helpless against Georgia. Anthony Richardson, he's not a good quarterback. I will stand on this hill. I think he's talented. I think he's a good athlete, but he's not a good quarterback. 
And I say that giving him all the credit in the world because this dude is playing banged up, man. He is not healthy. You can tell he's limping after just about every single play. Halfway through the game, he had to stop scrambling because he he just physically couldn't do it. He had to stay in the pocket and deliver the football down the field, and that's where you see him get the majority of his 271 yards through the air. He's just not a pure gunslinger, and, and when Florida's running running game goes away, Florida's got no offense, nothing that they can reliably look on. Uh, I, I, and because of that, Georgia's rush defense yesterday looked legit. I mean, they stuffed the Gators in the trenches. The last note I had on this game, Florida 4 of 16 on third down, 0 of 3 on fourth down. They are 1 in 4 to start SEC play. It's one of their worst starts to conference play ever in their tenure in the Southeastern Conference, and now they go on the road to College Station to take on a Texas A&M team. Are you more impressed with Georgia? Are you more disappointed with Florida after the cocktail party? I think I'm impressed with Georgia in the sense that they won by 22 points, and it feels like that just was kind of a ho-hum day for them. Yep. You, you know, like they, yep. they, they could have put up 60 in this game. And they came out of the second half, and they had, I think, two or three turnovers. And Florida actually cashed in on those and cut the lead to 28, uh, 28 to 20. They came at back. One point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, you know, you take those mistakes away, which are uncharacteristic, I'll say, of Stetson Bennett in this offense. And this one's just a laugher. This one's not even close. And, you know, we're talking about a 50, 60-point output, and Florida maybe. Uh, getting into the 14 to 17 point range. So, yeah, I mean, it's a ho-hum day for them, and they beat their rival by 22 points on a neutral field. That, that, not much else you can say. Yeah, no, and like I said in the previous show, this one is going to be a fun game to watch for about 15 minutes. I didn't think the 15 minutes would be during the comeback, but, you know, it was fun for about 15 total minutes of game time. Um, you know, Stetson, he didn't play his best. He threw for 316 and two touchdowns anyways. Kind of a bad day for him. I think he completed something around 50% of his passes, had a couple of mistakes with the interceptions as well. So he needs to be more efficient if they want to win their division, and especially he's got to get that figured out for next week. So uh, you, you want to see more out of him. But the run game took care of business. You know, Edwards had 106 and two touchdowns. McIntosh, he had a 90 and two touchdowns as well. So they kind of did what they wanted to on the ground. You know, Brock Bowers, he caught five passes for 154 yards and a touchdown. He might be one of the more overlooked stars this year, especially on this pod. We haven't really talked about him too much. He's just a freak, and he's not a tight end. Like, I don't know what he is, but he's not a tight end. Tight ends, they're slow. You know, they've got good hands. They block. They just kind of play possession. Bowers is just kind of a monster who defies the natural order of football. He just he doesn't make sense on a football field. He's going to be a lot of fun to watch on Sunday someday, and, and I think he's going to continue to be fun to watch for Georgia. Big matchup problem anytime he's on the field. So, you know, excited to keep watching them roll. It is setting up like we've been talking about that matchup with Tennessee at home, fortunately, for Georgia. So, you know, I think it'll be a fun one to watch, and I'm excited to see how they come out, see if they can maybe make those improvements uh, you know, with Stetson maybe being a little bit tighter with the football there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. But good performance for them, like Trey said, beating your rival by 22, nothing to sneeze at no matter how it gets done. Stetson Bennett, I will say, um, after a really hot start to the season, has cooled off immensely. Only four touchdown passes in his last four and a half games of action. He also threw two interceptions against Florida yesterday. So maybe 
maybe we slow down the Sequavius Bennett hype train. Um, still a very good quarterback and exactly what Georgia needs to win the vast majority of the games. Won a national championship last year. Um, I do wonder if he can hang with a Tennessee, with an Ohio State in in a, a Western-style shootout. We get to see one of those matchups this week in Georgia versus Tennessee. Um, all right, final playoff contender, TCU 41, West Virginia 31. West Virginia had TCU on the rocks for a good chunk of this game, but eventually TCU able to pull away. Uh, tough place to play in Morgantown. Trey, start with you. What notes did you take away from this game as you're the highest on TCU? Yeah, it was a really fun back-and-forth game. It was you know, something we've come to expect from TCU at this point, three weeks in a row where there's just a fun back-and-forth game where you're not sure if TCU is going to be able to pull it out. And sure enough, Max Duggan and the offense come in clutch. And today it was a Max Duggan and uh, Kendra Miller show. Um, it was, you know, almost 400 yards or 350 yards and three touchdowns for Max through the air, 120 yards on only 10 carries for Miller. Just West Virginia didn't have an answer, um, especially in the first half. Now it was kind of a tale of two games where both teams, they combined for 49 points in the first half and the next touchdown wasn't scored until there were four minutes left in the fourth quarter. So we had a shootout in the first half, a defensive struggle in the second half and TCU to their credit, was able to kind of squeeze control away of the game in both formats. So credit to them. They're shown that they can win multiple ways within this game. And I think that's going to really help them down to the stretch as they play, like we've highlighted before, some in-state rivals that are going to be really excited to knock them off. Yeah, and TCU has a flair for the dramatic. I don't think they're going to have another blowout the rest of the year. They might go undefeated. They may end up winning their conference undefeated and go to the playoff. And I still don't think there's going to be a blowout or a real decisive, comfortable win if you're a TCU fan. It didn't feel like they ever quite put them away yesterday. You know, it felt like, hey, you know, we got a little bit of a lead and then they let them claw back. But still, at the end of the day, they covered the seven and a half points, pick up another high scoring win on the road. The offense is humming right now. They have no issues doing what they want on the ground. Kendra Miller, I think he had like 10 carries, average like 12 yards a carry, something like that. It was, I mean, crazy to watch what he was doing on the ground. Got whatever he wanted to. You know, Max Duggan basically aired it out all game. He wasn't particularly efficient, but I think he had three receivers get up near 100 yards. Quentin Johnson, Tay Barber, Savion Williams also catching three passes for 97 and a touchdown himself. Good game for him kind of popping up. Um, I do think, again, he needs to be more efficient passing. He was 57% on his completions. That ain't going to get it done against better teams, right? It's not going to get it done against the higher level. And since we're talking about them as a playoff contender, you have to compare him to guys like Hendon Hooker and CJ Stroud and say, yeah, 57%, that's not going to be good enough. You got to be better than that. But the fact that they're in this conversation, I think, is encouraging. The fact that, you know, if they just improve a little bit more on their defense and, and be a little bit more opportunistic, They'll be able to stay at the top of the Big 12, you know, run their way down to Arlington. And, you know, I I think they're in a great spot right now to see their logo pop up on Tuesday night. I I think they're going to end up getting that sixth spot. I think you're going to see nothing but undefeated teams on that TV screen when they show it off. And I think TCU having their name on that board is a big win in year one for Sonny Dykes. Yeah, West Virginia, by the way, uh, that held Duggan to just 57% passing completion. 121st in the country in passing defense efficiency. That is not good. Um, and to our West Virginia listeners, gosh, guys, I hate to say we told you so, but 
we did tell you so that this was coming. Um, it's a, it's it's an interesting rest of the road for West Virginia. I do wonder if Neil Brown stays employed through all of it. TCU's finished, by the way, Garrett. To your point, uh, Texas Tech, Texas Baylor, Iowa State. So three three very very tough games coming up, and then Iowa State. I'll let you make of of that what you will. Um, let's go ahead and stay in the Big Twelve now as we rip, whip around the rest of the the country. Guys, my, my headline for this, what a beautiful round robin the Big 12 is. And let's start with number 22, Kansas State, doing unspeakable things to Oklahoma State, the ninth-ranked team in the country. The injuries finally caught up with Oklahoma State. I mean, every single person on that field is beaten, battered, bruised. They have 11 starters on opening day who are now done for the year. Um, I, I said in the, the preview that I would ride with Oklahoma state until proven. Otherwise I was proven otherwise this week, impressive victory for Kansas state at home. Yeah. Four, 48 to nothing was not on any of our bingo cards this week. Um, there were a lot of scores that made you go, huh? And sure this week. And this was a hundred percent. One of them, it was 35 to nothing at halftime. And the aforementioned pumpkin patch activities, uh, we're thrown into a tailspin very briefly when we pulled that score up on our phone. So, you know, what I'm really interested to see, like, I, I think we can kind of explain this away. For Oklahoma State, at least, you know, you can kind of take solace in those 11 starters being out for the season, right? It is catching up with you. It, there's no shame in that. And, you know, even an ugly score like this, while it's disappointing, you can see why that happened. What I'm really interested to see for Kansas State going forward, because, you know, they're sitting there at six and two. They're sitting there with an inside track to the Big Twelve championship game. If they can, you know, navigate the rest of their schedule, they get a rematch with TCU. Is Will Howard going to be a revelation for this offense? Because it was a completely different offense than what we saw with Adrian Martinez. And you would expect that with a run first quarterback versus a pass first quarterback, but goodness, he threw for almost three hundred yards and four touchdowns. I don't know when the last time we saw that in Manhattan was. And, you know, they still got Deuce Vaughn heavily involved. I think he had uh, over 150 yards and a couple of scores as well. So I'm excited to see if that holds up. Is Will Howard going to be a key to unlocking this offense and taking it to the next level? Was Adrian Martinez holding them back just a little bit with the liability of him throwing the ball? I don't know. We'll see. But, yeah, it, it's going to be very interesting to follow for Kansas State. And I think the most important point, Kansas State sitting at 6-2 and two right now has a chance to join Duke as my second darling to hit their over next weekend. But, uh, you know, obviously I have the rooting interest there. But I'll go ahead and take things I never saw coming in a million years for 500, Alex. Wow, was that a shock. Yeah, they absolutely shellacked the Cowboys. <laughs> obviously, Blitz you know. Blitzkrieg. Blitzkrieg for sure. That's definitely true. They were down multiple players but they just didn't get on the bus to Manhattan. I don't know what happened. They just didn't show up. Uh, Will Howard, have yourself a day, young man. Sure. He should probably stay the starter. I think there's a real conversation to be had, like you were saying there, Trey. You know, I, I know that Adrian Martinez has the legs, and that is a difficult offense to stop no matter who you are, right? You, you put both him and Deuce on the field, let them run that RPO, and it's hard to stop. At the same time, I think opening up that intermediate and deep passing with as effortless as it looked for him, I think that kind of lets Deuce do a lot more of what you would hope that he would do and play that sort of power spread run game. 
And I think that that's something that they're going to need to lean into to be able to succeed down the stretch and ultimately make it to Arlington. But with this type of offense, I think we're about to purple out Jerry World for the Big 12 title game, and I'm absolutely here for it. You know, they play Texas at home next week. They need to win that one. You know, Texas coming off a bye. But if they can manage that, they finish with Baylor, West Virginia, and Kansas. And all those teams don't necessarily have the right stuff right now. Uh, Baylor played much better, but, you know, we're not necessarily high on them as a podcast. You know, West Virginia not getting it done. Kansas, lots of injuries. I think that they could walk through this and end up getting to Arlington and have a really fun season ahead of us and a great game to you know kind of set that matchup up again. You know, on the Cowpoke side, crushing loss, but I think you have to give Spencer Sanders some credit for toughing it out on a day when he was dealing with a shoulder injury and they were already missing so many starters. You would like a guy to go out there and try to compete and give you what you need to, to try to give you a chance on the road. They just didn't have it. It's one of the worst losses I think Oklahoma State's faced in a long time. I have no idea what the numbers actually are, but I'd like to see the last time they lost by 48 because I I can't remember the last time. I think 2005 was the last time that the telecast was saying something like that. It's it's been a while. Um, So back when Mike Gundy maybe wasn't a man, nor was he 40. Um, So, (laughs) you know, it's been a little while since that's happened there. Uh, And, you know, it's a tough loss. I still think they can bounce back and have a really strong finish to the season and be a good team and a good bowl game. But man, those preseason goals, you know, getting back, redeeming themselves in Arlington, I think they're all but dashed at this point. And it hurts to say, because I was really, really excited for them to see how they're going to be able to come back and, and run this conference. But man, tough end of the year for them. Uh, they, they can still finish it out strong, but really tough given where they were at the start. The only other comment that I'll make in the Big 12 uh, is on the butt bowl. Baylor destroyed Texas Tech 45-17 just an annihilation in Lubbock and Tech was previously undefeated this season at home there that stands no more this wasn't really even competitive Baylor jumped out to an early lead and just kept their foot down on the pedal um I think stock up for Baylor just a little bit they maybe got a get right game I know they've been missing a lot of offensive skill talent this year but gosh everything was clicking against the Red Raiders, maybe a little bit of a reality check for Texas Tech, right? Where, hey, this is year one. You're going to have some of these clunky losses. And, oh, boy, did did we get one uh, there against Baylor. Yeah, scheme was definitely clicking. I don't necessarily know that it was more of a, like, a scheme issue as opposed to a player issue. I, I think that we're st- I still want to see more from the players for Baylor, but the scheme certainly worked up there against Tech, and I think exposed some issues on that Tech defense. And Baron Morton looked mortal for the first time in his yeah. young yeah. career. So that that was a big factor as well. I think he threw two or three interceptions. And Baylor has been known to do that. Baylor's defense has been known to confuse young quarterbacks. So credit to them. Credit to them for getting a big win that I did not see coming. All right, let's go. Where else are we going? Let's go out to the ACC where we had a top 10 team quietly get destroyed in Wake Forest. 48 48- to 21 the final score is louisville lights up the demon deeks three interceptions from sam hartman it feels like he's good for at least one of these a game or one of these a game one of these a season uh the turnovers just sank wake ship in this one garrett it's been a weird season watching louisville 
Yeah, I not necessarily the biggest fan. Been up and down on them, obviously, this year. Was very up, then was very down. Apparently, eight turnovers is what you need to be good if you're Louisville. That's uh, I don't know that you can count on that on a week-to-week basis, but you know, credit where it's due. They played a good game. But, man, what on earth happened to Wake Forest? I mean, what happened? Tough scene for the Demon Deacons this year. You know, reminder, back in the beginning of September, they were in a double overtime game with Clemson at home. And it was a chance to go and run the ACC, right? So interesting situation there for them. You know, I hope that they can find a way to bounce back and finish the season strong. But man, tough game against a Louisville team who I don't think is very good. Yeah, eight turnovers and six of those in one quarter. I think two <laughs> of them were pick sixes. So I didn't know it was possible to even get six possessions in one quarter and Wake Forest somehow turned the ball over six times. So that's just just fun. a bad day. Bury it if you're a Demon Deacons fan and, you know, move on to next week because that you, you probably will never see anything like that again. Yeah, uh, an unreal performance, a historic performance. If you're Louisville, also if you're Wake, just for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. Uh, Illinois, guys, out back to the Midwest. Are they the chosen one out of the shadow realm this year? Number 17, Illinois, 26, Nebraska, 9. They fell down early. At one point, Nebraska was up 9-6, to six, and then Illinois just quietly steamrolls them the rest of the game. 20 unanswered points. Tommy DeVito, Chase Brown. That offense keeps rolling. Burt Bowl is primed for a November run through the shadow realm, straight to Indianapolis. I'm, I'm loving it. This is a story I did not see coming this year. Yeah, no, Shadow Realm game, woo, let's go. That was exciting. That's exactly what you want to see out there in the Big Ten West. The result is kind of actually what should have happened, though, so maybe a little less than we had been talking about in previous weeks where just nothing made sense. So, you know, it seems like Illinois has taken control of the Shadow Realm, I mean Big Ten West, um, and they should be in a good position to be the runner-up in Indianapolis. Uh, I don't think that they'll beat whoever comes out on the West, obviously, or on the East, rather. Um, but that being said, I do think we should give some credit where it's actually due. Chase Brown had 35 touches on 70 plays. We've talked about his usage, <laughs> but getting half of your team's touches is actually kind of crazy. And he still manages to come up with 160 total yards of offense, two yeah. touchdowns. He's playing hero ball the right way, and it is absolutely working for the Illini currently i don't think that's going to be a winning formula for a long time but at the same time yeah i think that they're doing something right on this side of the conference and hopefully i mean i'd like to see them be competitive in indianapolis if they get there but you know man i just i don't think they have what it takes as a team yeah and i'm really interested to see how they close out this november you know they're they're scheduled to close out two games at home over the next two weeks against, uh, I believe, Michigan State and Purdue. And then they're road, on the road at Michigan and at Northwestern. Two and two kind of feels like the floor there. Obviously, we we, we beat the Michigan State stuff to death, but yep. it's um, it, that should be a game that they feel pretty good about winning. Purdue is a little dicey for me. We don't know what Purdue team shows up. Michigan, you probably don't have a chance, and Northwestern looks god-awful. So. I think two and two is the floor, and you're hoping for three and one if you're an Illini fan. Yeah, Purdue spoiler makers, man. That's This is the role they love to play. I'm sure they would love to do the same for Illinois. Let's bounce back over to the ACC. A couple of games here. Notre Dame 41, Syracuse 24. Also, North Carolina roars back to beat Pitt 42-24. 
I'll turn it over to you guys. Where do you want to start here? What comments do you have as the ACC gave us a couple of interesting games for for a little bit? Notre Dame-Syracuse is more interesting early. North Carolina-Pitt more so later in the game. Uh, I hate to say it, but I think we have our answer to is Syracuse good, and I think the answer is no. Um, I think they're an interesting team. (laughs) I think they've been really fun to follow, but... I just don't think they have the talent to yeah. to run the table and run with these more talented programs that really showed with the Notre Dame defense. I know Garrett Schrader got hurt, but even before he got hurt, he was struggling. Syrac- Syracuse was in trouble. They they weren't able to do anything on offense. Notre Dame was shutting down that ground game. And if Syracuse can't move the ball on the ground, it's game over. It's shut shut it down. So very impressive win by Notre Dame for me on the road. And uh, the dome was rocking. Yeah, um, sold out. Yeah, sold out uh, artist formerly known as the Carrier Dome, and <laughs> we it, it, credit to Notre Dame that what an up and down first season for Marcus Freeman, but credit to them for getting this big win on the road. I think they out talented Syracuse, and it really showed from the first play when Garrett Sh- Schrader threw a pick six. So literally two right to the guy. Yeah, yeah. first play from scrimmage, right? <laughs> like. Yeah. It was just cra- crazy start to that game. And that was an omen for what the rest of the game was going to look like. Notre Dame looked yeah, in control that whole game. As for North Carolina, I know this is looking ahead a little bit, but they, I think, I haven't done the math, but I think they can lock up the Coastal next week with a couple things fall their way, which is just insane to say with a month out. But that is a team. Clemson's The rest of Clemson's schedule looks really soft, but... I think North Carolina can give Clemson a lot of problems with their offense that we have talked about a lot. They can mm-hmm. score a ton of points, and their defense all of a sudden is starting to creep into competence. So lots of talent over there in Chapel Hill. I think they can give Clemson a lot of trouble if they meet up in the championship game. Yeah, no, I, it sure looks like you know the Tar Heels are, are a lot better than maybe we've given them credit for. I, I think they aren't getting enough attention, and I feel like we're going to end up talking about them a lot come the next couple weeks. They're they play only ranked 17th in the new well, AP poll. That seems yeah, we're just not over. giving them anywhere near the credit they deserve. They've got one loss. Yeah, to Notre Dame. Yeah, and they they do play Wake Forest and NC State, but those teams are absolutely shells of what they you know we thought they were at least going into the season. And frankly, Drake May shouldn't be afraid of any of those people. Yesterday, 77% completions, which is a stupid number, 388 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, those are like, again, video game numbers. You shouldn't have those kinds of numbers on a consistent basis. And yet he's you know, probably got the best statistics in the country as a quarterback right now. You know, uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the guy down the stretch who can sling it. You know, if the defense can continue to improve again, they were... They were a problem early on against App State. They, credit to them for making it out of that game. But, you know, they, they you know have slowly but surely gotten a little bit better each week. They're looking a little bit better towards the end of the year. And when you have Drake May out there, you don't have to be that good. That guy's going to score you some dang points. You know, could we be living in a situation where, you know, North Carolina goes on a run and they're a one-loss conference champ? Could they make the playoff? I mean, we may be talking about a North Carolina playoff. We could be living in a college football timeline when the four quarterbacks in the playoff are Hendon Hooker, CJ Stroud, Drake May, and Max Duggan. Oh my gosh. That's that's, that's the timeline I want to be living in. That's a you lot know. of information to try and process. Yeah. Trey, Trey, I think I think they can lock it up with this next conference win because even if they miraculously then lost out. They would be five and zero or five and three in conference. Duke, at the best, could go five and three in conference. 
The um, one thing that I hadn't mathematically figured out is how Georgia Tech plays into it, and just like that would just be official, making it official. But Georgia Tech, they haven't played them yet, so I think technically, if they lost to Georgia Tech and Georgia Tech won out, but obviously that's not going to happen. So for all intents yeah. and purposes, they can lock <laughs> it up. <laughs> I don't think we have to worry about that uh, whatsoever. Good point, though. Good call on North Carolina being slept on. I didn't realize they only have one loss because they're not talked mm-hmm. about with any no of the other one-loss team. Yeah. Despite the fact that they have an incredible offense as well. Like, they yeah. have an incredible offense. They're doing stuff offensively in the realm of Tennessee, but they've got the one loss early, so we just wrote them off. Yeah. And they're buried on the ACC network at 3 p.m. most weeks, so yeah. no one is flipping over to their games, but you should like they, they're extremely fun to watch and they're figuring it out on defense. So we'll see. Well, and to, to most people's credit, if you do flip over the ACC network to watch a game, typically you're watching some sort of featured programming while the actual live football happens on the plus side of things, which is just the ultimate bag fumbling by the ACC network. They're waiting for basketball season. They, they, Evidently. that network is for basketball. Evidently. Um, all right, let's go to the Pac-12 because FSU destroys Georgia Tech and Boston College sucks, Miami and Virginia. <laughs> if you want to go watch highlights of that game, what was it, 14-12 to 12, the final score in four overtimes? Nobody scored points in that game. It was it was just a horrific... I kept watching the, the live updates or whatever as they would come across my TV screen, and I literally thought to myself, you couldn't pay me to flip over there and watch that. Um, Pac-12, kind of a sleepy week. There weren't any big-time matchups in the Pac-12. Oregon beats Cal. They kind of run away with it late. Cal made it a game early. Bo Nix throws two interceptions, um, but Oregon's offense is good enough to carry the day. USC, though, they struggled with Arizona. Out in the desert, Tucson, weird things happened. A lot closer than people expected, and Arizona was in striking distance basically this entire game. Yeah, a lot closer than expected here. That Trojan defense is kind of back to that preseason form, not stopping nearly enough, which isn't something you want to say about a Trojan. Um, But yeah, just not necessarily a great performance there for USC. And I think at this point, we can couch any of the like off chance playoff talk that that you would want to maybe, you know, outside. Are they one of the better teams? Go ahead and drop them out that top 10. They don't have the defense to keep up. Yeah, it's going to be rough for them to run uh, run the table in the Pac-12. I think that UCLA game is going to be very difficult. Uh, if they can't get the defense figured out, that UCLA game is going to be very, very difficult. So, yeah, a, a kind of a chalky week in the Pac-12. I think the most interesting yeah. game was that Utah-Wazoo one. Oh, come on. A late cover on the Palouse to take in away from Cam Rising somehow was injured and we had no idea until (laughs) you know literally kickoff they announced like oh yeah and cam rising is injured and we just found that out too Uh, and also the difference in that game probably ended up being that bizarre call on the goal line where the utah drive gets extended for just the softest of reasons you know it it, that was weird to watch and just because i I flipped on for a little bit that was a weird one to watch and I mean, I saw that one when it was happening and I was just on my feet. What are you talking about? Where? And yeah. just, <laughs> I mean, and this is coming from a guy who I wanted Utah to win that game, but I don't want him to win like that. You know, I don't want him to be given the game. And as close as it was, that probably ended up being the difference. Okay. I yeah. think, I think we're going to get in under the hour 15 benchmark that we usually shoot for guys. Let's wrap it up. 
with the group of five uh, to talk about here. And Trey, you have been cataloging, you've been making graphics, you've been welcoming teams to the Bowl Eligibility Club. We would like to celebrate those teams on this show. I think specifically, we're going to celebrate you once you get to seven wins, but hey, even making the postseason with as weird as some of these these seasons and games have played out is an accomplishment. Uh, if you would like to to welcome our newest members to the Bowl Eligibility Club, uh, I'll turn the floor over to you. Yeah, in the G5, we'd like to welcome UCF after knocking off Cincinnati. Game, I called that. Thank you very much. Uh, 25 <laughs> to 21. Uh, UCF, welcome to the AP poll as well. East Carolina, another team that I was kind of like, hey, we need to watch out for them on Friday night in Provo. They knock off BYU on a last-second field goal. No welcome quarter. to Bowl eligibility pirates. Um, let's see what else we got here. Toledo. Bowl eligibility despite losing their starting quarterback unexpectedly. Another situation where we just find out the starting quarterback is hurt late in the game. And they knock off Eastern Michigan. They don't get the cover that Mitch wanted, but they do oh. knock off Eastern Michigan and get to bowl eligibility. Um, Boise and Wyoming are both bowl eligible. We kind of wrote off Boise State after they lost to UTEP early, and they just were not looking good at all. They fired their offensive coordinator in El Paso. Yeah. And both Boise State and Wyoming, another team that we didn't have high hopes for this year, oh, bowl yeah. eligible. And South Alabama, first bowl eligible for the first time since 2016. So shout out to the Jaguars. They're getting they're getting AP votes for the first time, I believe, since 2016. Someone big in the in journalism tweeted mistakenly, I think last week, that they received an AP vote for the first time in program history, and their SID immediately responded to it. Like, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. Give us our credit. 2016 was a banner year. Uh, but yeah, they're bowl eligible for the first time since 2016. So uh, USA, support. we support the troops. Yeah, we also the USA troops. USA. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, maybe it's a good omen for the World Cup coming up. If USA is doing well. Oh, we fingers can, crossed. Yeah. Uh, U.S. and Wales, I believe, is that first game. Uh, that's coming up. That's that's less than a month away. I tell you what, the com- I'm not a soccer guy, but I I, I got a hat tip to to Fox. Um, their their commercial is getting you kind of excited about soccer at this unique time for uh, listen a bunch of different reasons that uh, we're not going to get into on this podcast. But uh, it's got me kind of excited to to watch it as well. So I'm sure there will be. Maybe 60 seconds on soccer coming up here over the next uh, month or so. Um, guys, any any final any final thoughts? Again, it was kind of a disappointing week uh, when it comes to the mainstay programs around college football, but the, the G5 schedule especially, like I was locked into that UCF-Cincinnati game, but like Cincinnati threw that, that away. Toledo, uh, down their starting quarterback, Daquan Finn, did not play in this game. They were with backup Tucker Gleason who got them to bowl eligibility. They trailed this entire game and then roared back, did not get the cover, as I'm very, very sad about. But, uh, you know, you welcome them to bowl eligibility. This is the time of year that the group of five gets really, really fun. We get Maction starting on Tuesday night. You've got conference championships, uh, conference championship games being decided on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday night. We get Coastal App State. This next week, I mean, it's a whole bag of tricks coming up for the group of five, and and we love it. Yeah, that battle for the New Year's Six spot is going to be very, very entertaining. Tulane kind of in the driver's seat right now. I think it would be a great story for them to make it to the Cotton Bowl, mm-hmm. but tons oh, of teams could jump up and grab that. You talk about Coastal, you talk about UCF, you talk about Cincinnati. 
um, maybe sneaking back in there if they can win out. So tons of opportunity. There's a lot to watch for. The week as a whole, yeah, it was a little disappointing, but tons of scores that I just had to do a double take on. So yeah. maybe not competitive games, but just shocking results. And that kept it fun for me. Yeah, and a big weekend of jockey for position. I don't think we necessarily clarified the playoff picture, but there's a lot of teams that are now ready to say, okay, it's me or them, and we're gearing up for some big matchups late in the year. I think this is the first time in a while where I feel like we've had this many matchups at the end of the year that will decide the playoff picture, where you have like one versus two, you know, three versus four, five versus seven, just enough of those teams that could jump their way up if they were able to win that game. So I'm pumped to watch the rest of this slate starting next week with Georgia, Tennessee. Yeah, and I went three and one in the ledger, so just want to shout out myself today. <laughs> did you? I was I was just looking at that. Uh, I did. I guess. Oh, I guess you did. I guess you did. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I was going to say I, I thought we all went two and two, but no, I'm seeing that now. Although the most surprising ledger loss, of course, you dipped back into the pool of, of Missouri <laughs> and South Carolina Freaking one too many times. <laughs> you bet against the Tigers, and finally, finally, Eli Drinkowitz gets you. Just yep. a weird game where Spencer Rattler then threw his coaching staff under the bus after that game, basically said, we had no idea what they were going to do to us this week. We had no, didn't have the right preparation, didn't have the right game plan. Um, yeah, not not what you want your... Yeah, that's why he's back. failed at two different stops. Not not him, it's the other people. Not, not the Not the outcome that I think a lot of people wanted for Spencer Rattler's career. But <sighs> on that note... We'll get out of here for our week nine recap. <laughs> Excited for week 10. A lot of blockbuster names uh, and games on the slate. We'll, of course, have the playoff rankings, the first edition of those playoff rankings to break down on Thursday morning as well. For Trey Reeves and Garrett Turney, I'm Mitch Mason. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, so long, everybody. Everybody.